0: Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be talking about the 1964 film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, directed by Stanley Kubrick. But before we go on, let's hear from everyone about one movie they've watched recently that they want to talk about here. Mia?
1: So the other night, inspired by watching Dr. Strangelove, I watched Death to Stalin, um, which I've seen before and is so funny. If Has anyone else, have y'all all seen it here? I haven't.
2: No. Stephen, oh. you saw it with us. I have no recollection of it. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll <let's> move on.
1: <laughs> you should rewatch it because it's so good. It's like a satirical take of Stalin dying and it has Steve Buscemi and it's just really funny and it's like all of them like jockeying for power humorously as Stalin dies um, and it it Fit really nicely with watching Doctor Strange Love this week, so I definitely recommend it. It's uh Did we rent it?
0: Yeah, we had to rent it.
1: Yes, we had to rent so. it. So sorry about that, but it's really good, and I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, and then we also recently watched the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Cor- Corleone, which I wanted to bring up since we have obviously covered the first two movies on this podcast. And for me personally, it had been a very long time since I'd seen the original version of the Godfather Part Three, so. It was weird watching this recut of it, and there was a lot in it that I was like, "Was this in there originally in some other form, or how much of this is new?" But ultimately, I didn't think it was very good still, and I I, I had in my mind that The Godfather Three is still like a good movie. It just couldn't live up to the first two. But I think after watching this, if 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 the original cut is anything like this recut, it's just it's a fucking mess. Um, (laughs) but I mean, I think it's worth watching if you really like the first two, just, just to see it, just to say you saw it. But I mean, it is a step down in so many ways. Um, but it does have like maybe the most quoted line from the Godfather trilogy, which is, uh, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Pull me
3: back in. Yeah.
0: It's weird that it's from that movie, but, um, (laughs) Alicia,
4: um, I watched the original, John Waters version of Hairspray the 1988 film Um, I had seen it I saw it when it came out in the movie theater when I was like nine or ten and I remember really really loving it as a kid and wanting to go home and learn how to do all the dances that they do in the movie everything Mm -hmm. yeah I just uh, wanted to watch I haven't watched a John Waters film in a really long time and I love his stuff and yeah it, it held up for me it's still a really funny fun movie
3: that's a great movie
0: Mm -hmm. All right, and Laura, over to you.
3: I watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent (laughs) because the summer has been pretty Nick Nick Cage heavy, sorry for me. Um, It started in the beginning of summer where I broke up with a guy I was dating because I made him watch Face Off and he was really upset about it. So ever since then, (laughs) I've been exploring all of Nick Cage's movies and it was great to watch this one. I did notice... There's a lot of swim scenes, like there's by the pool, but they never let Pedro Pascal not have his shirt on, uh, like off. So you couldn't really see him, even though Nick Cage is shirtless in a lot of scenes. I guess they didn't want him to look better. Mm. Um, so that's what I took away from the film that I didn't get to see <laughs> Pedro Pascal without his shirt on.
0: Pedro Pascal must have something where, in whatever project he's in, he can't show something. So in Mandalorian, he can't show his face in this he can't show his chest
3: he's such a great he's such a great um energy he really he really went all out in this one
0: yeah i believe it especially after seeing him in that wonder woman uh sequel which what is a, mess. a crazy mess <laughs> of a movie but he was yeah. actually having a fucking good time it seems like. does.
3: he seems like he's really loves what you know yeah given it
2: he was also in the kingsman uh sequel movie where he was also having a really good time.
0: So he's a ham.
4: I was just going to say, I want to hear this breakup story when we're off
3: mic. I know. (laughs) He was so mad.
1: He took off. I was like, it's face off. We have to watch face off. Who doesn't like like face off? Sounds like good red ends. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Who doesn't like face off? He did not like face off. (laughs) (laughs) And Steven? over to you okay first of all i'm very sorry i don't remember deaths to stalin i'm sure once i watch the <laughs> the preview again i'll remember and i'm sure we had a really good time when we saw that so i think we saw it at
1: yeah. nighthawk too
2: no we
0: saw it at ifc center
1: ifc i knew it was like a fancy yeah.
0: i remember we, we went to some place in the village and got some food beforehand and then or maybe after the movie i don't remember now and then saw it and it was a lovely time that Steven doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: very sorry. I'm sure it'll come back to me once I see the preview. Um, but the movie I saw this week was The Killing, and that was directed also by Stanley Kubrick. And it's a film noir movie. I saw it once when I was in college, and I remembered really enjoying it. So I thought I'd watch it again because also Sterling Hayden is in it. Um, mm-hmm. he's, one of the, he's one of the thieves in the movie. So I just wanted to see like him acting at a different role. Um, and it was very enjoyable if anybody's seen it. It's actually pretty short, too. It's under 90 minutes, so. Um, is definitely something that you can kind of squeeze in as you're doing other things.
0: Yeah, my my, uh, favorite movie podcast, other than ours, is (laughs) doing a Kubrick miniseries uh, sometime this year. So I'm looking forward to digging in on the rest of his filmography again uh, because he's my favorite filmmaker. It's my favorite film podcast. So, you know, got to do it. It's just Um, when
1: worlds collide. When they collide.
0: Sometimes they explode, but hopefully... (laughs) You know, whatever. Boom. Are you talking
1: about mutually assured destruction?
0: Yes, of course. (laughs) Getting us back on topic. So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out sometime this year in 2022, so we're basically trying to watch some of the movies from past polls before the new one is out. And again, this time we are talking about Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? If not, what were you expecting, if anything? And Stephen, since you picked this one, can you start us off and also remind us why you chose it?
2: I chose this movie because there are so few uh, comedies that are on this list of uh, movies that we're going over. And so every time we kind of come up with one, um, it seems like all the other movies are very heavy. So I wanted to have something that was at least humorous, at least if this one's going to be heavy, it also should be humorous. So, Um, and then also people were surprised that I'd never seen the movie before. uh, So I figured I needed to rectify that. And also, I had no expectations walking into this movie, so um, I was completely surprised by everything I saw. Um, The only thing I knew about it was that it was kind of a parody of war movies, at least that's what I've heard. Um, And then it was also a classic, and it's really well-reviewed. All right. And
0: Laura?
3: I thought I had seen it, but I hadn't seen it. But now I've seen it.
0: Was there (laughs) something else that you had seen that you were confusing it with? I
3: I must have just seen flashes of it, you know, Mm -hmm. pieces, but
0: I never really did. And Mia?
1: I have seen it once before and just think it's so funny, still funny on a second viewing, obviously. And I mean, I think you could watch it a 100 times and still find it funny. Uh, The main thing I remembered about it was everyone being in some giant room. Um, (laughs) And yeah, they're still in a giant room for a lot of it. So my memory was correct.
0: Great. Alicia?
1: Yeah, I had
4: seen it once before, uh, and I I'll, I remembered really like laughing a lot when I watched it the first time. But this time, I don't know. Maybe like because the world is in a little bit of a different place than it was when I saw it the first time. I, um, yeah, I I, I didn't. I, I caught the edge a little more this time, I guess. But that was, um, yeah, that was what how I came into it.
0: Right. And yeah, I'd seen it many times before. I've owned it, I think, on VHS and DVD. If, if we ever switch over to being Blu ray people, I'll surely get it on Blu ray, um, like a 4K steel book thing or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like I said, Kubrick is my favorite filmmaker. This is uh, one of his best films. I mean, it's hard. He has so many good films. A bunch of them are grouped at the very top of the list of his films for me. Yeah, I I think it's a movie that I love to revisit every few years and kind of see what strikes me that time as I get older. I think it's another sort of maybe a comedy Rorschach test to go back to what we talked about with the persona episode <laughs> we're gonna where, use that now yeah sure well I, th- I think a lot of these movies are that you know like especially i think a movie like this where you can get something out of it I, mean, I should say this this is not about like my expectations and all this is like about watching it so i've seen it many times and uh yeah i love it so i was excited <laughs> to watch it again um okay so That's where we stood on the film before watching it for this episode, and we'll get more into the film in just a moment, but first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. So, as I've often done on the show, I'm going to read from an entry in the Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies, which I got when I was in high school and first getting into movies. As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't for me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. Stanley Kubrick's searing satirical attack on mankind's warmongering mentality forsakes none of its incisiveness to accommodate Peter Sellers' three tour-de-force character turns as a British RAF captain on an American base, the US president, easily the funniest thing in the film, and... The eponymous German rocket scientist, sort of a cross between Werner von Braun on some not very nice drugs, and a tea trolley. Then there's George C. Scott as a gung ho Pentagon general waging war on the Ruskies, a deft comic turn balanced by Sterling Hayden's po face tough guy performance as the general who dispatches Yankee bomb planes on Russia. A darkly comic comment on the stupidity and self serving nature of politicians in the military. Dr. Strangelove remains scathingly funny and timelessly relevant due to the clever script and impressive acting. It's also amazing to look at, thanks in part to Gilbert Taylor's startling black and white photography, but mostly to the breathtaking sets by Ken Adam, the man responsible for the look of the early James Bond films. It was bold of Kubrick, just after the Cuban Missile Crisis, to make fun of nuclear Armageddon with a deadly earnest, farcical story of one side or the other blowing the world to bits by atom bomb through absurd accident or plain stupidity. The ending, with Slim Pickens sitting astride the bomb that blasts us all to smithereens to the tune of Vera Lynn's We'll Meet Again, is particularly dark and dangerous humor. Based on Peter George's book, Red Alert, it was made at the height of world holocaust paranoia at the same time as Sidley Lumet's Failsafe, a film with such a similar premise and situations that the Strangelove production tried to sue. Again, that was an entry in the Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies. And I just want to throw in real quick that, along with Dr. Strangelove and Failsafe, another 1964 movie similarly tapped into the paranoia of the day. Seven Days in May, starring Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, directed by John Frankenheimer and written by Rod Serling, depicted an attempted military coup in retaliation for the president seeking a disarmament treaty with the Soviets. Personally, I think Strangelove is clearly the best, but all three movies are well worth a watch and certainly paint a portrait of preoccupations of the time. But back to Dr. Strangelove more specifically, this was Kubrick's follow-up to Lolita, released two years before 1962. Its making began with the director's desire to produce a movie about a nuclear accident during the Cold War. As he was doing research for the project, someone suggested he read Peter George's book, Red Alert, and he eventually bought the rights for it and began working with the author on an adaptation. As they began to write, Kubrick at some point came to the conclusion that there was no real way to depict the scenario he was interested in without it seeming absurd, so they decided to lean into that absurdity and make it a satire, which is a departure from the more serious depiction of the novel. Satirical author Terry Southern, perhaps best known by movie fans, as a co-writer of Easy Rider a few years later, was brought in to help with the tone. The casting of Peter Sellers was instrumental in getting the film made, with Columbia Pictures making it a condition that the actor play four roles, one more than he had in 1959's The Mouse That Roared. Originally, he was set to also play Major Kong, the bomber pilot, though perhaps against his better wishes, since he wasn't comfortable with the character's Texas accent. But an injury forced him out of the role and it was recast with slim Pickens, though not before it was offered to John Wayne. Another change of note is that the film legendarily originally ended with a giant pie fight between all the personnel in the war room. The film was originally set to open in late 1963, but was delayed due to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Instead, it was released in January 1964 to good box office, and it was eventually nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Picture, Director, Actor for Peter Sellers, and Adapted Screenplay, though it won none. It did, however, win four BAFTA awards, including Best British Film and Best Film from any source. And it was nominated for or won Other Guild and Critics Awards as well. And to give a sense of what else was popular in the United States in 1964, My Fair Lady was the big winner at the Academy Awards for that year. Meanwhile, the top grossing films in North America were From 1 to 5, Mary Poppins, My Fair Lady, Goldfinger, The Carpetbaggers, and From Russia with Love. Dr. Strangelove is often cited as one of the best comedy films of all time, as well as simply one of the best films generally. In 1998, it was ranked number 26 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies list, and it reappeared on that list in 2007 at number 39. Also, AFI ranked it at number three on its 100 Years, 100 Laughs list of film comedies. For our purposes, it only appeared in the top ten of one of Sight & Sound's polls once, when it was ranked the fifth greatest film by directors in 2002. In the 2012 polling, it was ranked number 117 by critics and 107 by directors. Among the directors who included it in their top tens were Lawrence Kasdan, Michael Mann, and one of my professors at NYU, actually, Amos Poe. So Steven, since this was your pick, can you start us off with your thoughts on the film and whether it met, well, you said you didn't really have expectations. So did it just like, what what did it do for you? I guess.
2: (laughs) Well, I did have expectations just because everybody's been like, how could you have not have seen this movie? It's Mm -hmm. like one of the best movies ever made. So when you walk into something like that, you're expecting it to blow you away. And for the most part, it did just because it was something that I didn't really expect. I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. And there were so many one liners in it. And then the one liner, sometimes they would make you laugh. But at the same time, be like, oh, just because it was really like what they say is dark humor. So. Um, For that, it was just enjoyable. And I really liked the performances. They seemed really larger than life a lot of the time. So I think that was probably part of the whole uh, parody of it. And I also enjoyed how everything kind of looked like those spy movies from that era. And like, it it felt like a 60s kind of kind of vibe to it. So I really enjoyed that. And then I also liked kind of, it kind of reminded me, I guess about, I, I mean, just the fact that, you know, a conspiracy theory can actually like ruin everybody's lives and it sort of tied into everything that we were talking about or what we're living through right now. So just from watching it, just made me think of like, this isn't so far off and I can understand why people really can get something out of it through the generations of this movie. Just by watching it, you just sort of like, it can tie into just about any time. So I really did like it and I feel like I could watch it over and over again and get something out of it. Just like some of the other movies that we've seen. All right. And Mia, what about you?
1: I totally agree with so much of what Steven said. I thought like it's so funny. There's so many little moments or just, you know, people's names or like the way they refer to the Rand Corporation as the Bland Corporation, like just all these tiny little details that are so funny. And the way it's shot and the sets and all of that is just like it's so amazing. It's so cool. I love it. I definitely, like Alicia said earlier, I noticed more of the edge to it. And it's funny because I watched it for the first time not that long ago, um, since the pandemic, I believe. So, but just somehow seeing it more recently, I definitely picked up on the conspiracy theory stuff more. And, yeah, it's just you can see how easily something like this like could actually happen. So even though I still found it, overall very funny i definitely felt a bit more like oh, okay this is hitting a bit closer to home whereas i think the first time i saw it i was more just laughing and not really thinking about the real reality of it although once you get to the the end and instead of the giant pie scene just the montage of nuclear holocaust explosions (laughs) happenings i don't know definitely and i especially can imagine when this came out of how people must have felt seeing that on the big screen in the movie theater when this was a much more real threat than we deal with today um so yeah he he ended it with a kicker that's for sure (laughs)
0: laura
1: initially the filmmaking
3: uh, I, it's not that it was black and white. I love black and white movies. it It looked like there were a lot of day for night shots. Um, mm-hmm. It was a ju- an adjustment for me. Um, the The claustrophobia of the plane. There was so many wide shots um, without cuts. And usually, if there are wide shots, there's cuts that zoom in so you can see. And there wasn't a lot of that. Maybe I'm, you know, it. It just. Um, it was a different kind of film. That way for me, so it took some getting used to. Like the long shot scene where, pe- when Peter Sellers as the British um, uh, lieutenant or whatever, he goes into the room with Sterling Hayden, and that that it's filmed from afar, f- and for the entire scene. And I think it's so that you you watch him lock the door, so you get a sense of what's really happening in that. But it's also it's very removed from it. Um, so it was just it was it was interesting It was adjustment. I mean, it's the performances are amazing. George C. Scott was just incredible. Peter Sellers as the president was the funniest part to me of the film. And yeah, it's just a big fucking wild bummer of an end, which you know, is supposed to mm. you know, spoil alert. <laughs> we're all dead now. you know what I mean? So, so yeah, that's what I. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a like a real succinct answer either. Um, it was it was the first time I've seen it, so.
0: But it sounds like you overall enjoyed it or appreciated it, right?
3: Yeah, I did, but it was an adjustment. Gotcha. I really liked the font they used in the beginning yes. of the thing. Hey, <laughs> the font should, is so good. I was like, like, wow, that's a really good font. It's,
0: it's what we have as our logo on our uh, Facebook. Oh, really? Group. Wow. Yeah, and it cool. was, I was using it for our <laughs> uh, the podcast for a while, but it's a little hard to read on a little phone device. So, um, yeah, Alicia, what about you? Uh,
4: yeah, I, I enjoyed it again. And yeah, kind of as I said earlier, I think I, I picked up on. Um, the edge of it a little more this time than I did the first time. And I don't think I I don't think I really thought about the fluoride conspiracy theory thing the first time mm-hmm. I watched it. I mean, obviously he says it, so I'm sure I like registered it, but I didn't like put a lot of thought into it. I just thought, oh, this guy's like crazy. But um I mean, yeah, I mean, I know that is a real conspiracy theory that some people believe about fluoride in the water being a bad thing. Um, but I also It's funny that Laura mentioned the remove the like sort of seeing things at a remove. because I picked up on that a little bit this time when I was watching it too. And just that like the people in the war room are like very removed from the reality of like what's happening in the airplane. And even the people in the airplane are kind of a little bit at a remove because they're flying up above like this isn't a movie that's about like the type of war where you're having hand-to-hand combat or anything that like that—it's like this movie mm-hmm. that's about this war that isn't really fought. Uh, it, it traditional in the traditional sense. It's it's very like we we fought proxy wars in like Korea and Vietnam and things like that. But it's the average American isn't like in the war, thinking about the war on a daily basis, or like contributing to the war effort or anything like that. It's a very for that time, I think it was like a very new kind of war and a new kind of feeling about being sort of separated and removed from from the reality of it. So I thought that was interesting too.
0: Since you both talked about the remove or, or whatever, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with the whole idea of like comedy plays in the wide shot. So I, w- I wonder if that was a purposeful thing in the filmmaking of relying more on wide shots and uh, medium-wides or or whatever more than close ups yeah laura
3: i think the sets were um a key character of the film sure and so that's that was um really integral to the scenes and yeah. that's where the wide shots came in to really um give them more weight
0: right <clears throat> right um for me yeah i i the the conspiracy thing also hit me different this time cuz it's something that i was very aware of being part of the movie, but, you know, pretty much every time I've seen it before, maybe not the last time, but even it's jumped up since then, like, it it seems like still fanciful in some way, but this is the first time I've watched this movie since we've lived through conspiracy theories leading to an attempted coup, and that's what this movie is about. Um, So it's kind of uh, a little wild to to watch this movie from 50 years ago. Um, that basically, you know, you can make a a version of this today and about something else. And I think there are movies that kind of like try to achieve with topics that are like the hot button issues of the day today, what Dr. Strangelove did. I don't know if anyone's really pulled it off, but um, I mean, yeah, it, it must've been crazy to see this movie in 1964 after all the stuff that had just happened in the months before that and uh i don't know it's it's weird like i think that we live in such a different time one thing i also thought about like i i pointed out in the info about the movie 1964 there were basically three movies that all hit very close on the same topics or collection of topics about nuclear war and the possibility of a coup in america because of the uh what was going on in politics at the time And so there was something sort of in the water, so to speak, uh, other than fluoride, that um, there was some underlying concern.
3: Fear of nuclear.
0: Well, yeah, of course, But, but not just that. It was like a fear of the whole military industrial complex too. It came through in these three movies at that time. For some reason in my mind, I'm connecting it now to like we're in the middle of an era where entertainment is obsessed with multiverses there's two movies in theaters right now about uh, multiverses. You can barely get through a day sometimes without st- someone talking about we're in the darkest timeline, and that's been going on for like five years. People are obsessed with multiverses, and I think that says something about our state of mind as a society today that comes through in our entertainment, but probably has some deeper meaning, but I don't know. It... <laughs> I don't know what the direct I'll line is. I'll you
1: on that one for a bit. Is it yeah. like we'd rather be anywhere but here? Well, that
2: sure, that's exactly sure. what I was thinking, Mia. Yeah, yeah. there's got to be a better reality yeah. than the one we're yeah. living in. Of course. I was just going to say, too,
1: if they did want to remake Doctor Strangelove, like the January 6th uh, version of it, it would be like Trump as the insane general, but somehow also as the president, which right. I guess would just be like Peter Sellers playing one different character sure. here. So sure. it could totally work.
0: Alicia?
4: I was just going to say in addition to the Cuban Missile Crisis had just happened and um, the the whole military industrial complex thing that was kind of starting to become a big thing in American life was also like the blacklist Mm -hmm. stuff and the McCarthy hearings had sort of happened in the years, in the decade at least before that. So that was another like, I think they kind of felt like, whew, that's over. (laughs) Now we can like, let's go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: make some movies about this i did read this one thing that was talking about how in terms of a scenario like this actually being able to happen where a general or someone not the president could like press the nuclear button it could totally happen i don't know about any more but at least then they had really convinced they like the military i guess someone had really convinced eisenhower that like What if something happened? Like, what if you were incapacitated or we couldn't reach you and, you know, Russia is attacking West Germany or another NATO country or even America? Like, what would we do? So he was like, oh, yeah, I guess like other people should be able to launch missiles, basically. And then like, a week into Kennedy being president, they, like, gave him this memo. And he was like, wait, what? Like, no, we can't have, like, all these people who can just launch nuclear weapons. Like, that's literally insane. And they did this big review of the nuclear warheads that we had, like, all over Europe and stuff. And they were like, unlocked like literally anyone could have just like set them off like the world is actually i know i didn't i was reading this really interesting article about it and i didn't have time to finish it so i don't know i would assume that like hopefully we're safer now but apparently the military was also like we don't want locks on these things because they thought it was like government interfering and like what do you know our soldiers aren't gonna like you know set off one of these on accident or go crazy Mm. or something so it was this whole thing but yeah, like this totally could have happened very sure. easily. It's sure. crazy. I know
4: like the yeah. i the, our military is supposed to be – the reason we have like a so, so-called civilian like commander in chief uh, is because they don't want only military people to be in charge of what the military is doing.
1: But um, yeah, I don't know. It is
4: is scary, especially now. Even once
1: they put the locks on them – The whole Air Force, I think, programmed them all, at least allegedly, to just be like zero, 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 zero. And they're like, no, you need like actual codes. They're like, okay, one, two, three, four. And they're like, no.
4: (laughs) So anyways, that was just funny.
1: Password is
0: just password.
1: Yeah, Yeah, basically.
0: (laughs) It's your birthday. (laughs) I wanted to maybe circle back to the performances, because I found it interesting, Laura, that you said you found Sellers's performance as the president the best or the funniest I don't remember which mm-hmm. were used or both funniest. yeah and I think I do now too which I think that's another thing that like comes with age I think when I was younger because I first saw this movie when I was in high school and I thought Dr. Strangelove was hilarious I thought uh, like the character of Dr. Strangelove mm-hmm. was hilarious I thought that his performance as the RAF captain was pretty funny and the president is pretty dry but that's where the humor comes from. And I recognize that at the time, but like, I think I actually find that funnier now as, as an adult, um, than, than I did as a kid. And maybe I think I agree with you. I think I've also like come to really appreciate, I always liked the performance, but what is going on with, uh, with George C. Scott throughout this movie is just, other level and it's kind it's of crazy that he intense. basically got tricked oh. into that performance
1: i know <laughs>
5: what do you mean wow. he got tricked i don't know
0: this story so, so uh, apparently kubrick said just do something really big and he said that's not what we're going to use but we just want to get it out of your system and then like reset from there and then he used all those takes and oh and, wow and that's, george c that's scott really basically was like i'm never working with you again but i think it's a phenomenal performance one of its best amazing and it's, yeah. it's just like so it's like such an iconic comedic performance in so many ways to me and uh just little details like you could watch him in the background of scenes when he's there and just he's just on all the time and like the like making the biggest decisions in the smallest moments and it's it's great i love it
1: <laughs> he was my favorite part of the of this watch like yeah just th- the way he's chewing on the gum all the time so intently and when he's putting forth <laughs> yeah, and when he's put towards his plan of like, you know, oh, it'll only be twenty million people that die, and just the fact that he's a folder in front of him, but what target mega population? Deaths. Mega deaths, yeah. Which just oh yeah, like, that was great. Oh my god, yeah, he is so funny. Yeah, yeah, loved it.
4: I did enjoy the president more this time too. I think, like you were saying earlier, I had this memory of the Doctor Strangelove character being really funny, and he what he is, he was, but um, I just loved the conversations that the president was having. On the, on the phone with the Russian, yeah, those are my totally. Yeah. Dimitri. I was like, you know Dimitri, what, you're not more sorry than I am. I must yeah, have yeah. had the same conversations over the last ten years at at work, right? You yeah, know, I mean, the same types of like ego, up, yeah. massaging types of conversations where you're like, oh no, I mean it's nothing personal.
5: It's just <laughs> la la
4: la. This is just what it is. I mean, obviously, I'm not dealing with nuclear <laughs> destruction, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it that hit home for me a lot this time. S-
2: Steven? I think that was the appeal of it because he was sort of like the everyman. He was sort of our our proxy almost into the proceedings as in like, this is how you would deal with it. And also kind of brought the Russians down to a different level too, by just seeing like, he kind of had to babysit this guy <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to get information out of him. So I, I just kind of enjoyed that, that interplay between both of them.
0: Definitely. D- does anyone see it as a detriment? I would guess no from how everyone's talking about it, but does anyone see it as a detriment that, No one else really in that war room other than the president, Dr. Strangelove, Turgidson, and the Russian ambassador are real characters. Like someone might have a line here and there, but they're mainly like scenery. You know, Uh, like, does that bother anybody? Like, should they be more involved or is it just fine as it is?
3: I think going back to my earlier point, it was an adjustment, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel like the film lost
0: anything because of that in any way. Okay. Anybody else? For me,
4: it kind of felt very 60s, like, shadow government type Mm -hmm. of thing to me. So I kind of was – I was kind of enjoying it on that level as it's, like, just a bunch of men in a room, kind of like the X-Files, like, the cigarette-smoking man type of person. I just pictured them all was, like, him just, like, taking this all in and just being, like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
1: mm-hmm, 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 (laughs) mm-hmm, okay, that's what's happening, (laughs) like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it played really well into the remove that Laura and Alicia were talking about earlier, where it's just like these kind of faceless, but definitely no lines, no personality, just people making these decisions or at least being in the room where the decisions are made and like Mm -hmm. presumably at least have like contributed to this larger world where this situation is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I also read that even though they knew the movie was going to be in black and white, that they had the table covered with like green poker table fabric. (laughs) There's a term for it, but I don't know what it is. Um, it, because what'd you say felt? Yeah. There's like a a specific term, but yeah, like poker table fabric. Um, and that was because. Kubrick wanted the actors to feel like they're at this table, like playing a game of poker for the world, but basically. <laughs> um, so I thought that was really interesting. I, I didn't know that watching it, but like thinking back on it, I was like, Oh yeah, I can totally see how it's like this giant table that's, you know, there's no way they can reach each other. Everyone's just kind of in their own little right. thing with their cards.
0: Yeah. I never, I Yeah, never The table is
2: too big to really have any, any conversations. Mm-hmm. So I feel yep. like they were just going to be removed anyway. It's sort of like a, uh, Movie The Parallax View, they sort of have like this consortium of people that you never really see. Right. So I, I just felt like they were kind of like, uh, I guess, what do they call it? Not a Greek chorus, I guess, but just like people who are just sort of taking it in, but not really doing much. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, a table like that with that many people around it is kind of useless, isn't it? Like, there's no way for that mm-hmm. to be useful for people to try to work together and have a conversation when there's that many people sitting like that. There's no way. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make any
2: functional sense. It's just
0: like great stagecraft, though, you know,
1: maybe government is useless.
2: Sure. Well, that's what that's what contributed it to me being like a movie, because it felt like one of those James Bond type movies. Right. Where they had the big table and people weren't really supposed to talk to each other. But you got the feeling that it was really grandiose. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not practical, but it is like, oh, these people are making all the decisions.
1: Also, there's like the random like buffet table in the back that's somehow like completely set with a spread. Although I would presume in this situation, like everyone has been called to this in the middle of the night to come to the war room deep in the Pentagon. But somehow there's like a Thanksgiving dinner behind them.
4: Well, that just shows you like where all their priorities are. I mean, nobody's everybody's way more interested in like covering their own uh Ass, as opposed to like actually solving this problem. <laughs> making making sure the president doesn't want to go down in history is like the worst mass murderer since Adolf Hitler and you know, just the guy at the when the um when Lieutenant Mandrake is trying to get the president on the payphone and he's telling the guy to like shoot the <laughs> Coca-Cola machine. Right. And he asked mm-hmm. the only way he convinced him to do it is to be like. What do you think is going to happen to you if you find out, if they find out you didn't do this? Like, you know, it's just very like everyone has these other, well, it's my job to lay out the table, so I'm going to lay out the table and not worry Mm -hmm. about anything else. Right.
0: Right.
1: So. I thought you were gonna say too when he's like, "You'll have to hear from the Coca Cola oh, yeah. Corporation or whatever, he's, whatever that lion is." Yeah, oh, yeah. I die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, like, it's all about the corporations.
1: The yeah. world's about to blow up, man. Yeah. It's, a,
2: it's a
0: definite, definite pause for laughs line, but um, yes. what what does everyone think of the battle footage? Because I think that's a thing that the first time or two I watched this movie it kind of washed over me. I don't think I really noticed it that much, but it's it's like this very stark contrast in a way to these little vignette scenes that we get in these offices and uh, war rooms and things like, and on the plane, where it is claustrophobic. And then we open it up to the world for a minute to see what looks like pretty good guerrilla style sh- uh, footage of of people seemingly actually fighting. It's very well done, Laura.
3: It stopped being a comedy for me as soon as yeah. those people got shot. Okay. It's just, it was too, it's too real. I know this movie is really well-respected, but yeah.
0: It breaks it for you? It does. Yeah? It did. Anybody else?
4: I barely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's it's, it's almost easy to, to not notice it or forget about it because what you think of yeah. To me, at least, are are the the scenes that are actually happening with people and them talking to each other, and those moments with the with the soldiers, they actually do uh, forward the plot in moments. But they are at the greatest remove of anything, really, because it's just these like faceless people in the distance, for the most part. I think there's one scene where maybe you see some soldiers and they say something to each other, and then they start firing on the incoming. Soldiers, but, um, yeah, I don't know. there It's just the I think they are these weird slaps of reality in an otherwise um increasingly over the top narrative as the movie progresses. So I don't know, Mia, yeah.
1: also, like Laura, like it didn't totally pull me out of it, but I definitely I noticed it more than I have in when I had seen this movie before, and it definitely jolted me some, which I have to assume was the purpose. I think too. When I last time I saw this, there wasn't I mean, there's always a war going on, but like there wasn't the war with Russia and Ukraine going on. And so I think watching this where we are essentially in a proxy conflict with Russia right now and every day in the news, it's, you know, civilians being killed completely unnecessarily by missile strikes and war. And we know that all of this is going on. I'm sure we're only hearing like, you know, a portion of the news that's going on right and like so i don't know just watching that definitely hit different knowing that this is literally going on on the other side of the world with russia doing this now um so that was hard to watch
2: mm-hmm. Steven? For me, I felt like it was sort of like a means to an end. So for, for me, when I was watching it, I sort of just accepted it as this other kind of part of the movie, but it wasn't part of the whole narrative of the movie. So it was sort of like when you watch the news and you really only see like a snippet of some sort of battle footage, but you see all the other people who are just sending the policy talking about it. So I, it's, it's sort of like it, It's sort of you're numb to it almost. So when I saw those scenes, I just figured, oh, this is just part of like what we're supposed to see in order to get to the next scene. Um, so I didn't really get any effect out of it, and I guess that sort of is a sad thing for me, where it didn't really affect me at all. Mm. Alicia?
4: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't really even remember it at all. I mean, I remember that you know that they had to come in and take over the base, but I didn't remember the like combat scenes. But I also just thought it was another way to like drive home how kind of Useless, um, Lieutenant Mandrake was. I mean, he's not doing. I mean, he is doing something, but he's he's not like doing anything soldierly there, other than just trying to talk, um, talk the other guy down.
0: Well, he eventually gets the code, and yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, but, no, no, no. Um, I
4: don't mean useless in that. I mean useless as like a soldier. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, I, I wonder, Stephen and Alicia if the your your sort of like lack of um, noticing those scenes as much um i wonder if that has anything to do with just where we are now as a society like we're used to seeing movies that are shot like that we're used to seeing real footage of things on the news that look similar to that in some ways whereas i i wonder if you saw this movie in 1964 if that would have been a more novel piece of footage um, that you're seeing on screen. And so it, I wonder if the effect just would have been different and it would have been more noticeable. Because I do think it's like... People weren't really shooting movies like that before. It does look very guerrilla style. Like someone went out and actually shot a real, a real battle between actual armies or something. And, I mean, like I said, I just don't think that that was something you saw a lot then. So I, I bet it would have had a different effect.
3: The reason why it did affect me so much is it's not because you know, war stuff is, isn't everywhere. And murder on mass, like movies with CGI, thousands of people are killed in seconds Mm -hmm. and you don't even bat an eyelash because you're not supposed to. The film is made in this way where it's just life. It's just not as consequential. This, this had more, it just, it it was more real, realistic, And, um, just watching that a couple of soldiers go down, get shot, right. was enough to take me out of the comedy aspect of the film.
0: Mia,
1: I, I think too, for me, what it was is you know they're dying completely unnecessarily, and that it's like the soldier, the soldiers who are shooting them are Americans shooting other American soldiers who are trying to prevent this bigger thing from happening. But like, there's not the backstory of the ones who are being killed of like, Oh, we got to go to this base. We got to save people. Right. They never show anything like that. They just kind of like, are there in trucks and are then getting mowed down basically. But to me, that was what got me. Like, I mean, I know, War is hell and there's always people killing other people and it's a war movie and like that's what happens. But in this to me, it was just like, no, wait, like none of this should be happening. It's just this constant like comedy of errors building on each other. But like the fact that there's people running and just getting like mowed down was just really intense. Like I don't know they're not like in a truck that just gets blown up or something like you actually see them like fleeing Mm -hmm. and maybe that's more what you're referring to Jeremiah with like the gorilla kind of stuff I didn't really think about it like that but it just more seemed like oh these tiny little people moving but like actual human beings
0: no I mean I think that connects to what Laura was saying which I hadn't really thought of it like that of yeah we're used to seeing Millions of people die sometimes in a single moment in a movie now, but it's all so fake so often that I do think moments where it seems more real—the film school term is verisimilitude, I believe. Uh, it's it's uh, they they can stand out. So I think I wonder if that's like for me at least, like it kind of came full circle. Of I didn't notice those things as much because I was used to seeing things like that when I would originally seen this movie, but now I'm used to seeing marvel movies where they wipe out entire universe or something and uh no one bats an eye and it's not that big a fucking deal and so seeing this now hits different um and i'm just older too so i mean that's (laughs) not to discount that in any way shape or form but um yeah i don't know
1: can i talk about one more thing do or i was going to save this for the end but if people want to talk about it more but the actual like Right before the end of the movie when they're all like, oh, sweet, we can go underground with like hundreds of women and just like live in our mind shaft layers of, you know, harems, basically. I was just like, oh, my God, like men, like y'all are the worst. Sorry, Jeremiah and Steven. But like, of course, they're like, oh, literally like billions of people are about to die. But let's like round up the hotties and like get them underground stat.
0: Well, (laughs) honestly, I think you're setting up Steven's question as far as I'm concerned. So
2: Steven, perfect. You.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so my question was, I mean, I don't know if this movie was considered like an ensemble piece because there were so many great characters in it and everybody kind of had their own story arc. Um, but the movie is entitled Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. What do you think the title really means? Because he's not a huge part of the movie. He's sort of more at the end. So, But the movie is entitled that. So I just wanted to know what do you think the title means and why they had him in the title.
4: For me, I think just the name strange love sort of um well there's like a lot of sexual dysfunction in this movie. <laughs> so I think that that's kind of what that name is playing off of and I think the fact that this man uh that sets all the action in motion is convinced that he his sexual prowess has been drained because of the fluoride in the water um that's sort of the reason that he that's sort of the reason he does all of this is because his like sexual his masculinity his sexuality is threatened um just sort of plays into the like the title of strange love and then the whole mili- all i mean like in, in the whole military war and all this stuff is like largely about the male ego <laughs> and i mean obviously a big part of that is like sexuality and masculinity and um, and then I think like, at the end, like Mia was mentioning with the um, just having 10 women for every man and in the mine shafts. And yeah, like, if you think that's the life you're going to go lead, after this happens, maybe you would stop worrying. <laughs> and love the pop, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of my take on the title.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think... If if part of your question, Stephen, was about, like, why is the movie named after that character, who is, like, a relatively small part of the movie, he, come, he doesn't come in until the last stretch, really, as when he first appears. But I think he is so representative of the absurdity that, that Kubrick is trying to get at with the movie. He's an absurd character who behaves absurdly. And so I think it makes sense to name the movie in a way after the most absurd character element of the film and then I I agree with Alicia and connect it to what Mia said of like yeah I think these guys are are learning to like this situation and also I think you could say that by the way we haven't touched on the fact that uh, Sterling Hayden's character is named General Jack D. Ripper Um, Mm -hmm. but he is also in his way he has learned to love the bomb as a solution for his erectile dysfunction or his whatever the hell is going on with him His lack of prowess, as I think Alicia put it, Um, and yeah, I mean, there's several characters in this that that are coming around to the idea of nuclear war equals good. So,
3: I mean, I also think it matters that because he's obviously a former Nazi that Mm -hmm. the U.S. you know smuggled in, changed his name, which really happened to a lot of them, and um, and you, you that he still has the same mentality and this film is all I, I think it's just about the warmongering and, and just the lack of humanity I guess and he, he encompasses that sure I guess I don't
0: know <laughs> yeah no I think that's true so yeah. Stephen turning or Mia did you have oh I to was just going to
1: say it? I mean I don't really have that much to add y'all did a good job on this um, but uh <laughs> Uh, just that, you know, now Dr. Strangelove is going to go to this underground bunker and, you know, at least presumably on normal Earth, you know, he has alien arm disease, which I guess I didn't think was actually a thing. I thought it was just like a funny thing for the movie, but is real. And, you know, as a former Nazi in America, I presume, like, isn't exactly like killing it with the ladies. But like, yeah, now he's going to be like a sex god in this bunker. Also... When they brought all of the Nazi scientists to America, or like you know, science and tech people and stuff, they called it Operation Paperclip, Paperclip. which is so funny. It's like literally the most boring name for the most devious thing, which I'm sure was mm-hmm. on purpose. But
0: <laughs> Alicia,
4: I was I was going to say something, but let Stephen. I don't know if Stephen had anything he wanted to say. Well,
0: anything. yeah, I, w- I wanted to turn the question back to Stephen, and now that you've heard everybody else's ideas on it like w- have you come to a conclusion for yourself about your question
2: I mean it did make sense everybody's uh responses to it so uh, that's just j- just my question was since he was such a minor character why would you name it after that Cause I would feel like you don't need the other part to it or like you know mm-hmm. love the bomb or you know you call it something like peace on earth or purity of essence because that was <laughs> that was in the background of a lot of the different <laughs> scenes just because it it but you know just as you boiled it all down towards the end it was sort of more of a you know how to solve your problems by using a bomb, which you know shouldn't be something that people should strive to do, but that was the solution in this specific movie. So I, I actually did have a question about that because I wondered about it when I was watching it. So I didn't right. really have a solution to it.
0: Right. And just for the record, apparently some of the other titles they considered were Dr. Doomsday or How to Start World War Three without even trying. Doctor <laughs> Strange loves Secret Uses of Uranus. And <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful bomb.
1: Wonderful bomb?
0: Yeah. And to uh, the point about Love is going to go into the mineshaft and become a sex god, apparently in the 90s, Kubrick yes. wanted to make a sequel to this movie, and he wanted Terry Gilliam to direct it. And it was basically going to be about uh, Dr. Strangelove becoming a sex god in this new post-apocalyptic society. And But I, I guess Terry Gilliam didn't even know about it until after... Kubrick died and never made it to any sort of stage of that kind of development. But uh, I'm I not think sorry, that would have been crazy. am not <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: What was that, Laura? I'm not, like not a sorry. That could have gone Yeah, Yeah. I I, I could do without that, honestly. Um, I just wanted to add something about the the mineshaft. I I just remember that conversation that the general had at the end talking about they didn't want to have a mineshaft gap with with Russia. (laughs) And so I was thinking more about like, yeah, they could set up these mineshafts, but the same thing is going to happen again. So that's why I was really focused on that part of it. Just like, you know, the more things stay, the the more things change, the more things stay the same. We're still going to have the same problems going over and over again. So that's what I was just thinking about with that.
0: Alicia
4: Um I don't want to um like beat up any particular religion but um I did recently watch Under the Banner of Heaven on <gasps> oh, Hulu. Oh, we started that. Yeah. And um yeah, it's really I drew a lot of um parallels with the whole um the way they want the the way they want things to go after the Holocaust with a lot oh, yeah. of the ideas that um Mormon fundamentalism, I should say, not like your average Mormon person um, is trying to live their lives, you know, especially with, like, conspiracy theories, buying into these conspiracy theories that the government is doing all these nefarious things. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was, and and I think that it's really relevant today still, like, it's obviously... As we've already mentioned, but I would just recommend under the banner of heaven in addition to this, also.
0: Okay, so those are our thoughts on Doctor Strange Love. We'll share our final thoughts on the movie and answer our bonus question after this break. And we're back. So what was your favorite scene or moment? or element to the movie? Steven, let's start with you.
2: Um, There was a lot of them, but uh, one of the ones that we didn't talk about was just uh, the conversation that they had with Miss Scott. She was the only woman, I think, in the movie. And um, just the interplay between her and the general and the way that she was sort of translating what he was saying into the phone was really funny to me. And then also like the responses that she was giving, I was like, I don't think there was enough time for the guy to actually say that for her to talk. So I just thought that that was kind of an an interesting scene. That was just sort of like out of, I guess it was out of place, but we didn't really talk about it. I wanted to get to the bottom of that a little bit, but we'll just move on from it. Yeah. Alicia, what about you?
4: I really enjoyed the, when they first opened their like survival pack (laughs) and they were talking about all the stuff in the survival pack. And it was like, yeah, we got this, we got, we got pep pills, we got sleep pills, we got vitamin pills, we got nylons we got rubles we got gold coin i just thought that was really funny and how at the end he was like oh you can have a great weekend in vegas with this like, right I just was really
0: which funny. W- originally the line was in dallas but they changed oh. it after kennedy was killed
4: oh it's
0: dark yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laura uh,
3: i liked when he p- took off his headgear for flying the plane and put on a cowboy hat once they (laughs) went to to activate the missile um and all just the scenes of the president on the phone and just because they were long and you know i couldn't help but think he's not talking to anyone right right, he's just super wild and that's (laughs) what i liked about it yeah and i also Uh, speaking to alicia's part about sorry to keep going on but uh, the sexual dysfunction aspect. I think the whole entire opening credit scene with the planes is um, symbolism for that, and I didn't realize that until Alicia um, made it her, her point so clear about the title. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: I think that's been compared to like breastfeeding or something, uh, the the refueling in the air, I, something like that. But yeah, um, Mia.
1: My favorite scene is probably when Mandrake is being like hauled around and is like I need to use the payphone I need to call the president and then he's like talking to the operator and he needs 5 <laughs> more cents and just all of that and you know it you're like, Oh, he's going to give him the code. Like it could change everything. And it's like all these little things stopping him. And when he has to when the other guy has to shoot the Coke machine for him, I just, I don't know. It kills me. I guy laughing there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to be with Laura on this. Uh, The, the calls uh, with the president on the phone with the Russian premier um, are, are great. I, like I said earlier, I appreciate them more now than I did in, my first viewings of the movie and they think they belong in the pantheon of great on the phone moments in movies, which there are some really <laughs> good ones out there. Like I always think of dog day afternoon, uh, some of uh, all the president's men. And uh, I, I don't know if this rises to the level of the others, but it's a personal favorite uh, Buffalo 66. Uh, some, mm. some nice sweaty phone calls there. This is this one, not so sweaty, but still very, uh, you know, entertaining and, awkward uh Alicia?
4: i just had i remembered that i had a question that i forgot to ask but um maybe i might just have to google this what what happens if they shoot down a plane like if they had shot down that plane that ended up dropping the bomb wouldn't the bomb have fallen and possibly exploded anyway
0: i don't think that's how they work
4: how do they okay i think they have to
0: be detonated um like, they have to be armed and detonated a certain way. Like, I don't think they can just go off from, like, it's not like a thing of gasoline or something, you know?
4: Okay, I don't know. Maybe. Okay.
0: No, know. it is. Based yeah.
1: on the article, oh, is it? Okay. They made it seem like any, I guess you. it was still detonated. I mean, yet, they shot but, down, yeah.
0: like, three of the other planes yeah, or something, yeah. right? Right. No movie. So that's why yeah. I was
1: like, wait a minute.
0: So within the world of the it's... movie, at least, that's how it works. Yeah. In
2: mm-hmm. the world yeah. of a lot of movies, that's where I'm getting my information from. But yeah, they can shoot down planes because it hasn't activated. There's certain activation codes or certain ways you're supposed to do it in order to get it to activate. Right. So.
4: Okay. I guess I understood that for like typical like missiles or bombs or something. But I would have thought like for such a big bomb that you wouldn't necessarily want to take the risk of shooting that down. But maybe, it does. maybe there are more steps than like... Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't I think don't it's know. ideal. I, th- no, I, mean, <laughs> I think you've got to but... get out there and recover it as soon as you can and make sure, you know, it doesn't go haywire somehow. But
4: yeah, yeah, I just was thinking of those. I just think of plane crashes you see where, like, everything, sometimes just, like, everything is destroyed. Mm-hmm. And just, like, a regular plane crash without a nuclear
5: bomb sure. being yeah. on
2: board. <laughs> I bet there's a <laughs> so chance that it could go off, but I think it's not as likely. So I yeah. feel like it could crash and it could still go off, but it's not as likely as if.
1: Another scene I really liked actually was all the – I feel like we didn't talk about like a lot of stuff in the plane that much, but all of the plane technology, I was just so fascinated by this. Like when they sent them the code at the very beginning, I was like, wait, how did they do that? Jeremiah was like, I mean, they just like would send stuff to planes and they'd receive it. But I was like, but literally how did they make those things turn in the plane? Like that's crazy, right? Like how did that happen? And then I get that they're on like a secure radio thing and can't communicate, But then just, I don't know, all the like um, the navigator, like taking all the little writings and figuring out where they're going and how much gas they have left. And then when they're flipping all the switches for the bomb. I don't know. I would just I thought that was really cool and like is really building the tension in a really good way. But also just like, oh, this is how a plane works. Cool.
0: Yeah, You get some good Stan. (laughs) (laughs) You get some good Kubrick zooms in there. I think you don't get a lot of those anywhere else in the movie, really. Maybe. but Yeah um all right so has the movie as far as you're concerned stood the test of time or another way of framing it do you think it resonates today mia
1: yeah definitely definitely has (laughs) definitely has stood the test of time and i think definitely resonates today i think obviously even just having watched it like two or three years ago and now watching it post coup like you were talking about jeremiah and when we're having a War with Russia that's dominating the headlines. Like there's just so much more stuff to pick up on in here, and it just feels so much more real in a way that you know. I know it's a comedy and all that, but like obviously there's huge corn cobs full of truth in this movie too that I think are <laughs> popping cobs. all over the place on this viewing for me. <laughs> that is
3: an amazing expression. Yeah, I've never take heard it. that one before. <laughs> uh, uh, mix I mix it. all those
1: metaphors. Wow. <laughs>
2: Stephen, how Excellent. about you? My um, work here is done. <laughs> Thanks. Tip your waitstaff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it does resonate definitely. Um, just the bombastic characters of you know the people who are supposed to be in charge of the military—they're just as crazy as everybody else. That's what I figured out. And then it really dawned on me when I was watching that whole speech about the uh, the rainwater and like what Russians drink, and then the fluorinated water you know, you we've seen this happen with COVID. You know, you see people who seem perfectly rational and then they mm-hmm. just have these like batshit crazy mm-hmm. conversations about stuff. You're like, where do you even get this information from? But they're saying it with a straight face and, you know, they're in charge. So it, it yeah. sort of like really hit home for me at that point saying like, wow, you could really watch this movie anytime and get something out of it and feel like it's, is you know, it's relevant today. Right. So, Alicia?
4: Oh yeah, same. I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, I it just yeah, just what Mia and uh, Stephen both said, like it's it's ridiculous and like shameful how relevant this still is. It's it's ridiculous, right? Yeah,
0: Laura,
3: I concur with everyone.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, as as we're talking about it, I think it's maybe the rare movie that actually increases its resonance or has increased its resonance like i think there are plenty of movies that we've talked about in this series where they've remained resonant they've remained relevant and they've stood to the test the time but like this one somehow picked up steam in the last several years which is really sad to alicia's point yeah. um and kind of mm-hmm. scary and stupid uh but it's a great movie i think uh uh too prescient uh unfortunately um but yeah i don't know maybe at some point we'll, we'll as a society move past this bullshit way of being, but uh,
4: maybe maybe it's kind of good that they were experiencing this stuff this long ago and the world didn't end. (laughs) Maybe there's some hope.
0: (laughs) Right. That's one way of looking at it. Sure. Okay. So over to our bonus question, Stanley Kubrick is usually thought of as a very serious filmmaker, but with Dr. Strangelove, he made one of the most respected comedy films and The Jerk, starring Steve Martin, is famously said to have been one of Kubrick's favorite films. So what's a comedy made since his death in 1999 that you imagine he might have enjoyed?
1: I had one, and then I thought of another one while we were talking. So the one I had was Jojo Rabbit, um, which if anyone saw it, it, was very funny, but also uh, Nazi-adjacent, well, more nazi filled than this movie was even. Um, It's a little boy during World War II and Hitler is his imaginary friend. And it's very funny, but also very dark and poignant. And so I don't know, I just, I got a very similar vibe from this one. But then as we were talking, it made me think of office space, uh, mostly because of the phone call and Alicia, what you were saying about like you've been on phone calls like this where you're just like, oh, yeah, no, no, no one is more sorry than me. And it just made me think of office space, which I feel like it came out in 1999. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he saw it. Maybe he did. Maybe he saw it, you know? So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) let's hope Um, so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I really hope so.
0: (laughs) Laura, how about you?
3: I thought of Step Brothers because Step Brothers
4: is hilarious.
0: Nice. <laughs> Very in, in uh, the same vein as The Jerk too, I think. Uh, Alicia?
4: Um, I've never seen the full movie of The Jerk, so I was a little bit not... I I, I wasn't fully clear on the reference there, but I thought maybe Barat <laughs> because that's kind of like a bumbling, ridiculous character, but there's also like some political um, commentary in there as well. But then I mm-hmm. also thought maybe like idiocracy <laughs> <That
0: one too. laughs> you stole I my know. answer. I was oh, gonna no. say Borat. rat yeah oh
5: no yeah. sorry how dare you no I, mean, I, I but I agree know. with
0: you I think I think he would have loved that movie because it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's um, a different kind of filmmaking than mm-hmm. was happening before that. Um, I'm not making a judgment call necessarily about whether that's good or bad um but I think he would have been very interested in that movie. Um, yeah, it's coming back around to Steven. What about you?
2: Um, I said this is Spinal Tap just because it was sort of like a parody type of movie. And well, I mean, it's a little bit funnier and it's not very political, but I felt like he would have liked it.
0: Well, that was out when great. he was
2: alive. Oh, it has to
0: be when he was dead. Yeah. Well, that was the uh, question was like something since. Oh, his death. okay.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. When did he die?
0: 99.
2: Uh, yeah. I had two other ones, but they were after, they were right before he died. The other one was To Die For, which I thought maybe he oh, would yeah. have really liked. And uh, Austin Powers, which I think came out in 1997. Right.
0: Okay. Well, he may have liked those. I don't know. <laughs> I also do think he would have liked The Death of Stalin or just about anything that uh, Iannucci makes. Like Veep or oh, yeah. thick of Veep. it in the loop, those things I think owe a lot to Doctor Strange Love in the first place. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe he would have hated them because of that, but who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was very happy to rewatch Death of Stalin after we watched Doctor Strange Love at Mia's suggestion because it's really good. Um, all right, so our next episode is Laura's fourth pick. So Laura, do you want to tell us about that?
3: Um, Pather Pachali by Satyajit Ray, released in 1955. It's available on HBO Max, Criterion Collection, Canopy, or to rent via Apple, Amazon, and Google.
0: There you go. That's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm/slash stereoactivemovieclub. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.